that's a Bible Project video. So if you ever want to watch really cool videos like that, go to the Bible Project. And uh, they're amazing. You guys like that? Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. Well, yeah, so that, that was a really great way for us to just introduce and, and, and kind of reset what we've been talking about. Because we've been talking about these laws over and week after week. And you're like, how many of these are there? And we're going to do this 613 times. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to do it that many times. We're going to do it these 10, you know, week by week, and then we're going to get going in the story because the story through Exodus is very awesome. And we've gone all the way since the beginning, but we're taking time to really investigate these because uh, it's so healthy for us. So what was the penalty for breaking one of those laws? Death. Death was the penalty, which is, which is crazy. Any of the laws... If you were found in that, in that culture and under the law, breaking one of them, even one time, the penalty was death. Breaking one command is the same as breaking all of them because we become lawbreakers when you break even one of them. Now, that's incredibly harsh, don't you think? That's very narrow-minded. Well, God is very narrow-minded on what right and wrong is. He says there is a right, there is a wrong, and if you do something wrong, you are wrong. I'm not going to gloss over it. I'm not going to make excuses for you. I am holy, God says, and I cannot stop my holiness just because I care about you. There's, There's a standard that has to be upheld, which is really kind of bad news for us. That's the bad news. You know, we stand before the judge, every single one of us, guilty of sin when we, when, we, when we have to stand before God. And no matter how the judge may love us, he still has to hand down a guilty verdict because he's the judge and he's a righteous judge. He has to say, you did something wrong. And not just one something, you did lots of some things wrong. And, uh, and, and I know about it. So God will always truthfully and righteously hand down a guilty verdict on our lives, and we will face the death penalty. The death penalty. Unless some innocent man were to offer to take that death penalty for us. And we all cheer because Jesus steps in and, I will do it for you. He offers to be killed for us in the only true, truly perfect act of love and self-sacrifice this world has ever seen. If Jesus would love us enough to take our place in death, then we could stand before the judge as forgiven and declared innocent. The judge didn't want to kill you, but he had to kill someone because the sin demanded it. He's a righteous judge. So justice demands that he kill someone. So Jesus, as we know the gospel, he takes our place. So I want you to imagine the scene in that courtroom when you're walking out of the courtroom knowing you're guilty but being declared innocent and, and you, were, you were headed straight for hell and now you're innocent and free. What kind of praise is going to come out of your lips for the guy who took your place? That's why we sing our worship. And that's why we surrender our life. Jesus is so wonderful. He is so loving and kind to offer that to each one of us. Jesus, what he does for us is give us life. So obviously, we can't go around taking the life away from others. Right? There's our connection to what we're going to talk about today. We're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. 
And the, the, the verse is simple. I actually even have our entire text memorized for today. You shall not murder. <laughs> so hard. You guys all have it memorized too. You guys know, you guys know what kind of week we've had. You know, on Wednesday down in Florida, there was a, there was a guy who goes in with a gun and he murdered 17 people. Right? That's the opposite of the loving thing to do. It's not, not even hard to miss that. We are to be giving life, not taking it away. Very simple. We're going we're to first simply uh, explain what the meaning of it is. It means don't take someone's life away from them without a reason. Uh, this doesn't include accidents. So in Israel, there were accidents and they weren't viewed in God's mind the same way that murder was, okay? It, doesn't, it did not include the death penalty. And God, in fact, God commanded the death penalty to be instituted uh, so that those who take someone's life would have their life taken or forfeit in that situation. It did include war back then. Um, basically, it was connected with anything that was premeditated or intentional or with anger. And this includes uh, self-murder, which we call suicide. Uh, that's not a good thing. You don't want to do that. Um, you know, we could apply it to many areas of the world, abortion and things like that, which, you know, we understand those, those realities. But let's see what Jesus has to say. Um, you know, our, we're all good. Probably in here, none of you have probably murdered anyone. I'm hoping, you know. Otherwise, you're, you've been hiding it and you're probably really feeling guilty. But uh, I hope, but... Let's see what Jesus has to say. And if we're not feeling guilty yet, uh, we will. Just get there. And uh, it's, yeah, it's going to not feel. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Everyone knows that it's wrong to murder someone. You know, nobody has a culture that's like, yeah, we, we like murdering people. and We think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but Jesus in Matthew, he's going to expand the reach of this law into our hearts and our minds. Like, remember that little video when the guy had the knife out and then he like put it away and they're like, oh, yeah, he's keeping the law, right? Just remember that, that, that image. Jesus is going to explain that in his kingdom, there aren't even murderous thoughts allowed or murderous intentions of the heart. Of course, murder is the full-grown and most evil way that these thoughts are expressed in actions. When we have murderous thoughts, eventually, if we have enough bravery, we will actually kill someone. You know, a lot of things keep us from doing that. Laws and fear of punishments and fear of culture and society and everything. But, but the, the thoughts are there still. So Jesus is going to teach us three ways that we can break this law in our hearts and in our minds <coughs> with anger with anger, okay? So, Matthew 5, verse 21 through 26, but we'll start in verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard it said, um, that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So the Pharisees in that day were the kind of the religious people, the church people, and they were going around to teach people, do not murder, do not murder, okay? 
But anything short of actually killing them is totally cool. You can hate people, you can call them names, you can do anything you want as long as you don't literally stab them. In fact, if you stab them and they're just okay, you're still good. You haven't murdered them. But Jesus says that if there's no cause for your anger, that God will judge you. If there's no legit cause for your anger. People think that they can find a valid reason to be angry, but can they really? Do we have valid reasons to be angry? God says that only God's honor or defending the innocent are legit reasons to get angry. We can never try to uh, or get angry because of retaliation for personal wrongs. When we've been wronged, God says you do not have the right to be angry. But why do we get angry all the time? Because we were wronged. 99% of the time I'm angry. It's not because I saw some innocent person or because someone was, was dishonoring God. Most of the time, it's because someone offended me. So, the first way that we break the sixth commandment of not to murder is that we're when, when we're angry without a cause. Well, how do we know, how do we define what a good cause is? Well, for that answer, we would look to what Jesus got angry about. Do you guys remember when he got angry? He got angry when he went into the temple and he had righteous anger and he flipped over tables and he made a whip and literally whipped people out of the temple saying, my house, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thieves. They were transforming relationship with God into a business. And that made Jesus really angry. And he expressed that anger. He wasn't trying to hurt people, but he expressed that he was very displeased about the situation. And isn't it funny that a lot of people in churches have transformed church into a business? They, they, they want to make money. They're all, you know, they buy big, huge buildings so they can have more people, so they can get more money to buy more big, huge buildings. And just over and over again. And it's, a, it's, it's not what Jesus wanted. He wanted churches that were concerned with relationship with God, where, where communing with him and prayer and learning about him was the focus. And that made him angry. Um, so, what did he do after he showed this anger? Is that he gave his life for those people that he was angry with. He didn't start a petition. He didn't start a political movement. He said, you have been wrong and let me die for you. That is a different way of handling anger than what I usually do. I plot and scheme my revenge. And maybe you do too. But Jesus did nothing of the sort. He loved and gave his life sacrificially. Romans 12, 19, I'll read it to you. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Period. Right there. Do not avenge yourselves for anything. But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. 
For in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're commanded, do not avenge ourselves. Do good to your enemies. Who's your enemy? Who has wronged you? Who have you been angry with? We have a simple command today. Forgive them. Oh, but you don't know what they did to me. They got me fired. They treated me poorly. They abused me. They beat me. They, they, they called me names. I understand that. But following Jesus, he said, whoever wants to follow me, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It, you have to die to what you think you do and follow him. And he says, if you follow me, I'll give you life. I'll give you the ability to forgive. I'll give you, I'll even replace what they harmed in you. I will replace with love and I will replace with what you need. I will do it for you. But you have to trust me to forgive your enemies and not be angry with them. That's a lot. That's a lot to handle. I mean, that's like, we have to like give up on our, like, our, what we think would make it right. You know, it would be right if I could just beat them up one time. You know, if I could post on Facebook everything that everyone's done to be mean to me, then I would feel better. Does it ever make you feel better? No. Because disobedience is never blessed by God. He says, obey me, trust me, and you'll have blessing. You'll have my peace. You'll have my Holy Spirit doing healing balm on the places in your heart that have been hurt by this crazy person. But I'm asking you to love them for my sake. Not because they deserve it. Because you didn't deserve my love. And I freely gave it to you. So I'm asking you, forgive all your enemies. What if your enemy is your dad or your mom or your spouse? Well, then you can hold a grudge. No, he says, forgive, love, serve. Is that how we responded? Is that how I've responded when people have hurt me? No, and so I have to repent. I have to say, I'm sorry, Father. All right, Jesus continues. We're one-third of the way done with the baseball bat to your face. Jesus says, whoever says to his brother, Raka. Everyone say Raka. No, don't say it. Now you're guilty. Just kidding. I tricked you on to sinning. No. Whoever should say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. All right? Raka is a word in their language that meant empty-headed one. It was an insult like idiot, nitwit, blockhead, numbskull, bonehead, brainless. Now do you get the full picture of what it means? Raka. Inferior is the idea. You are inferior to me. So the second way we can have murderous thoughts is shown in our words of insult when we insult people. Name-calling and insulting uh, shows what's inside me, not how big of an idiot they are. It shows that I am a murderer. I have murderous hearts. If, all was, if, if we lived in a video game and it was me and them, I would shoot them in the head. Because there's no consequences, right? So name-calling is going down a bad road. It's wrong. But they're acting like an idiot. Maybe. But does my unloving exclamation 
show the love and heart of God for them? No. Oh, God forgave me. They, this person that I've been insulting is created by you. They could be your child. They may be a believer, your actual child. How can I call them a name that devalues them? What kind of pride is it in me that thinks I'm good enough to, to raise myself above their level? How, what did Jesus do when it came to levels? He took the lowest route always. He always bowed down and washed the feet of his dirty, rotten disciples. All they did was fight over and over again about who's the greatest. And Jesus is like, guys, you're a bunch of idiots. No, he didn't say that, right? He didn't say that. He was kind and compassionate and gentle with them. We need God's help to only say what's helpful, encouraging, and loving like Jesus did. I never want to be one that devalues human life again. He values people more than I'll ever understand. He would die for the person that I'm insulting. So we should never insult anyone, even if they're a politician or a lawyer or anybody, anybody, an immigrant, even if they're a criminal. Don't insult them. Yeah, they've made bad decisions. So have you. Humility says, I need to love this person and serve them so that they can hear the gospel of grace like I have heard, so that, I can, so that they can be forgiven and saved and changed like I have been. That's how this works. All right, the third way. Jesus says, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. All right, in Greek, this means more than just an insult. It's wishing that someone was dead. It means the same as God damn you to hell or go to hell. We hear that all the time on TV, in traffic. It proceeds from our lips like red lights on the road. It's calling on God to please send this person to hell for eternity. And that's wishing someone that die, would die and go to hell. It's saying, I'm done with you, and I hope that God is truly done with you too. I have no patience for you. I have no love for you. And the world would be a better place if you would just go away. What if God was done with us while we were still sinners? I bet you're glad that God was patient and merciful with you while you were cursing his name, while you were living your rebellious life, before you heard about Jesus. I bet you're glad that God was patient with you and he never said, just go to hell before the time. He was patient with us. So we need to have that same heart that Jesus had. So to review, three ways that we break this rule in, in, in this year, 2018 in Denver, Colorado, we have anger with people. 
Number two, we use abusive language, insults. And number three, we use condemning language. All of these are in the same spirit of murder and we are guilty. Does anyone think they're completely innocent of this? No, we're not. So how can we be transformed to not sin with our murderous thoughts and words and actions? And you guys saw in that video, they did a great job of the different colors. You know, the dark heart was like, like greenish, gross, sound like a swamp, you know? And, and the, 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 the transformed love heart was like a real heart, like boom, boom, boom. I love the sounds and the colors that they did. I want to be transformed like that. And his love is what transforms us and gives us this new heart. Nothing but his love. How loving are we supposed to be? As loving as Jesus is. He gives us his heart so that we can be that loving. He transplants his own beating heart into your messed up body. And, it, and he takes out that heart of stone that we had that was always angry and always bitter. And now he replaces it with a soft heart that's filled with love and it's just so different. So look with me in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. This is a really cool verse that helps us navigate these waters. Romans 13, 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says in Romans, love one another. That's our heart. That's what Jesus says fulfills the law. So question, how do we get this heart? How can we possibly love people like Jesus does? Forgiving those who wrong us and, and loving those who are not nice, loving even our enemies. That is not what the world does. That's not, they don't even teach that. They don't even think it's right. You're supposed to eye for an eye. If someone cuts you off, you flip them off. Show them who's boss. Well, the answer to this question of how we become that loving is by the Holy Spirit. And it's very simple. We just ask him to fill up our hearts. In John chapter 14, Jesus tells a story of a, a dad giving his, you know, his son asks him for bread and, and the dad gives him, you know, what, he says, does any dad give his son a scorpion who asks for a bread? You know, Jesus is making jokes, right? He says, if he asks for an egg, he gives him a, what do you say? A snake or something like that. I don't know. He Wild, like crazy joke, joking Jesus, right? You're just like, what are you talking about? He says, if you guys are evil and God is perfectly good, isn't he going to give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks? Because the Holy Spirit is good. And when you and me, we used to say, I need the Holy Spirit, what are we saying? We're saying, I don't have a good heart. I need something outside of me because I'm an idiot. I am evil, I am wrong, and I can't figure out how to change. In fact, it's impossible 
for me to change in my own strength. And I have two choices, either give up and stop following Christ or look at what he says and ask for the Holy Spirit like he said to. When you have a need of grace, he says, come to the throne of grace and ask me and I will pour out rivers of living water upon you. And this is about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He gives us his spirit. And then it changes what we want to do, the Holy Spirit. Before we're just flesh doing what everyone can do. Everyone can look a little loving. That's what flesh can do. That's what Adam could do. Everything we inherited from Adam is flesh. And God says flesh doesn't cut it. Flesh can't inherit the spirit. Flesh is useless when it comes to me and spiritual things and building God's kingdom. So he says it has to be by the Holy Spirit. He gives it to us. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh, remember flesh is what we all have, what we all can do, what we bring to the table. The works of the flesh are evident, clear. That's not even a mystery, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, that's drug use, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, there's we are, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Anything else that's bad of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All these things is what we need saved from. He says flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If we insist on living in the flesh, saying, I'm going to do what I bring to, I'm going to keep hating this person. Jesus says, or Paul says clearly here, that person's not going to heaven. I don't care how many times they've prayed a prayer or how many times they go to church or what money they give to church or what they think they've sacrificed for God, they obviously are just still in the flesh. He says here, you can't say, I follow God and I follow my flesh. This is, this is serious. And this is like heaven and hell and life and death and, and big stuff here. He says, those who live this way, who can who can murder without thought, who can just party without repenting and and feeling the guilt of it, the weight of it, selfish ambitions, outbursts of wrath, you know, having a hot temper. He says those people who can live that way are not trusting Jesus. You can't live this way without repentance and trust in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you won't mistake, you won't make mistakes, and you won't fall in these areas. Maybe you do kill someone. I don't know. You can be forgiven. What do you need to be forgiven? Repent. Say, I was wrong, and Jesus, would you forgive me? And you can be forgiven. But if there's no repentance, like, yeah, I was wrong, what of it? Then it's, it's, you're not saved. You don't have a real relationship with God. You don't have a real relationship with Jesus because the Holy Spirit keeps that from being a reality. He is always convicting and saying, listen, you need me. You need me more. You need me more. I didn't even realize that was a sin until we talked about it at church. I know, look how gracious I've been to you. 
But now that you know, repent. Agree with me. Maybe you've lived your whole life just angry. Angry at everybody. Maybe your parents beat you and drowned you and, 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 and I don't know. Maybe you're a Browns fan. It could just be like, there's so many reasons why you could be mad at the world. I don't know. But, or a Patriots fan. Anyway, um, there's so many reasons. But if, we, if we're just going to say, I'm, I'm going to keep being angry and I don't care what Jesus says, you've got to understand what that says about you. It doesn't say Jesus' way is too hard. It says you don't believe in his way. So what road are you on? You're not on his road. You're on a different road. Their life is a living proof they don't believe when they live in these ways. So everything we just read in, in Galatians. Well, look at the next verse in Galatians. Because if they did believe, and they did ask him, and they did humble themselves, and I am fleshly, Jesus help me, Jesus would respond with the Holy Spirit. And look what he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit produces this love. Well, I don't see that love in my life. Okay, okay, calm down. Just ask Him. Well, I did ask Him. and Then wait and keep asking. Just, it's about abiding in him, maintaining that connection, and his life will flow into you. The Spirit produces this. And, and look, it's, so it's an easy test of whether we believe or not. Are we walking in the Spirit? When we walk, are we putting to death fleshly desires and works, all the things listed above, and looking to the Holy Spirit to lead and empower us? You see, pride is the enemy of a Christian, and pride says, I got this. I can do this. It doesn't have to be death to my ways. It can be Sean's ways are all right. They're better than Hitler. I can figure out how to do what's right and still get my way. I can still be faithful to my wife and do these things. I can still be a good employee and take this. You know, we try, we can, we can weasel our way into all these things. But only true humility can, can, through that humility, can we surrender to the will and to the word of God in all that he says. And so doing, we receive the empowering of his spirit to do all that God calls us to do. God resists the proud, but he pours his spirit on the humble. Pride leads us towards murder. It's like, come here, come here. Turn to 1 John chapter 3 with me. It's way back by the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 3. Pride leads us to murder. It's like a path through a winding uh, forest and it's just going through the forest and it's saying, come here, you don't need God's ways. You don't need... And it's, it's, it's leading us. It's, um, and through our decisions, it eventually drops us off a cliff of murder. 
Our pride is the root. And it's, they shouldn't have treated me like that. I was just a kid and they were jerks. So we hold anger. Every time we drive, ah, oh, that jerk face, that butt, that whatever. Or, I wish you would go to hell. These things, they're leading us down this path and eventually it drops us off the cliff of murder. Just ask Cain. You guys remember Cain? He's like, first kid ever born on this planet. Okay, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. How long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was able. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. <laughs> What's the solution to gun violence that takes lives? What's the solution to distracted driving that takes lives? To abortions that take lives? To every single self-centered choice that leads to death? It's only the love of Jesus being in our hearts. It's the only solution. His decisions being made for our lives. What he would want. The Second Amendment tells me I get a gun. Jesus doesn't. The Second Amendment is not in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that the answer to gun solution is taking away guns. I don't think that's going to make a difference. Okay? But are we really following Jesus by saying, I will never sacrifice my right to the Second Amendment. Or is laying down rights more of a thing that Jesus would do? Probably. I mean, when we talk about abortion, we say, yeah, we know abortion is illegal, or illegal, but it's wrong. So, we want you to lay down your rights to follow Christ. Okay? But we're unwilling when it comes to our guns. I'm not saying, again, that that's the solution. I'm just saying, check your heart. What is going on in my heart? Am I out there arguing on Facebook trying to make a point that I know the answer when the answer is Jesus? He claims to be the only solution. Um, Surrender and submission to his lordship is following his leading, okay? And you're not going to kill anyone when you're following his leading, right? That those decisions don't lead to taking one life because he kills no one. He's the opposite. He gives life. He gives life. He doesn't take it. Even when you offer up your life and say, okay, I'm not the boss. You're in control of my life. I'll make whatever decisions you tell me. He's like, okay, great, love. Let me kill you. No. He's giving life, saying, great, let me pour into you everything you've ever wanted. You will feel, you will know, you will be, feel value, you will feel love, you will feel everything you've ever wanted in submission to me. That's just the way it works. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, right? All right. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. 1 John three eleven. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. (laughs) 
you don't know the story, Cain, they made an offering. Him and his brother made offerings to the Lord. Uh, Cain brought some fruit that he grew, some plants and, and stuff, and, and Abel brought a sheep and killed the sheep, and that's eventually, evidently what God wanted him to do. So Cain, or Abel obeyed God. Cain got jealous. So Cain says, hey, brother, let's take a walk. And he took a rock and killed him. First murder, first kid born murdered. All right? So he says, love one another, not as Cain. <laughs> yeah, Cain's pretty much the opposite of loving one another, right? He took someone's life. Who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's pride. Pride led him on the trail, made his decisions. Eventually, he fell off the cliff because that's where it was leading. Do not marvel, John says. My brethren, if the world hates you, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. How He who does not love his brethren abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So here we learn that hate is not an option. It's not allowed. No matter what the offense is, we don't get to hate. Ever. We surrendered all our rights when we came to Jesus and said, be my Lord and be my Savior. He decides how we act, and he clearly says that we are to forgive everyone of everything and love them until we die. Even if they're killing you, you love them. Period. In the book of Revelation, we see a bunch of saints that God sets aside, okay, and, and he says, these are my saints, and I love them. They're so awesome. And then they go, and these saints go out through the world, and then they all get killed, murdered. And the blood of those saints is what transforms the world at that time. People, they see the love of people, that, that the, the church would love them even to death. And that's what causes great revival, is the sacrifice of self-sacrifice, the agape love. Thanks, BK, for teaching us about agape, because that's what this is. Um, we got to repent of hate. If we don't, we're not abiding, it says here, in eternal life. We're not remaining in the life of Jesus because we don't know him. John 17.3 says, this is eternal life. Just in case you ever wanted to know what eternal life is, John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, your son, whom you sent. Knowing God is eternal life. So we say, I'm going to hate. We're deciding, I don't want to know God. I don't know God. I don't have a real relationship with God or Jesus. That's the decision we're making. His life dwelling in you, and slowly it's becoming your own life. That's the sanctification process that we're going through as we go to church each week, as we read the Bible at home, as we confess our sins over and over to the Lord. We are slowly being transformed, and His life is taking root, and that's the transformation of the Holy Spirit. We're becoming His loving agents in the world, His hands, His feet. That's what we're doing. 
His body. It says that we, the church, are His body, loving and protecting all the people in the world, being exactly what Jesus would be if He was here right now. That's our mission. Because He is. His Spirit is in you and it's in me. As we've surrendered to Him. You know, if we're holding on to our pet sin, the thing that we, are, we will not give up, just know you have not yet crossed over from death to life. Because in Christ's life, there is no rebellion. There is no holding on to sins. It's free. I can freely confess I'm a sinner. I've broken every one of the Ten Commandments. Probably daily. And that's where we have life. Right there. So, Murder is wrong. That's what we learned today. <laughs> but we break this command through anger, abusive language, and condemning language, right? All right. So this murdering heart, it, it flows out of our, our mouths in these three ways that we just discussed. But the new heart of Jesus is the only way to fix this problem. He offers that heart to each and every one of you and me today. That's what ha- what's going on here. He will not deny the humble cry of a child of God. In other words, if you say, God, I am evil and I have sinned and I need you, Jesus never says, prove it. He never says, you're not good enough. You don't qualify. The only qualification is that you admit you're wrong, he's right. Okay? If you don't think he's right, then fine. Keep studying it. Keep going about your life. The Holy Spirit will help you to understand why he says the thing he says. And his commandments will bring life once you agree with them. So, cry out today. That's all we got. We're going to sing a song. We got communion here. So if you believe in Christ, if you, if you have accepted his forgiveness, you are welcome to come and and, uh, and do this little, this is kind of like a ritual, it's kind of a, a tradition that we have that Jesus himself established, where he said, I want you guys to remember what I've done. I want you to remember my body was broken. What it took for me to love you is that my body had to be broken to punish for, for the punishment of your sins. And not only that, but my blood had to be poured out. And so if you have asked Jesus to forgive you, you're living in a life that says, I, I agree with God and I receive him. Then you have every right to come here. If you don't believe that, then do it at your own risk, Jesus says. He says, I, if you want to fake that you have a relationship with me, uh, please continue doing that and let's see what happens. Because it, it won't go good for you. You can't fake that you know God. You either know him or you don't. And if you know him, you're fully, completely in the family of God. You're fully, completely forgiven. Okay, so would you all stand with me as we just wrap up our service here? As we uh, come to you, Lord, right now, I just pray for every single person in here. Lord, you have been speaking uh, love into our hearts. Lord, but that's difficult because uh, we have not been loving. We are guilty. We don't even feel worthy of being loved. So, Father, the fact that you would love us so much 
that you would pour your wrath upon Jesus Christ for our forgiveness is is mind-blowing. And it assigns a value to me that I don't get anywhere else in the world. The groups I'm a part of, the country I live in, my family does not give me as much value as the God of the universe thinking I'm worthy, uh, I'm worth it for his son to give his life. Father, I want to I want to receive that. And if this is the first time you've ever prayed this prayer, if this is the first time you've ever believed and understood the gospel, then you are being born again at this moment. And it is such a glorious thing. It says the angels throw a party in heaven because they see what's going on in the spiritual realm. And if that's you today, I encourage you to just tell someone before you come up and tell me so that I can rejoice with you and pray with you. We're going to we're going to spend every breath of our life telling people what Jesus did for them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, you have given us your life. You have poured it out in us. Lord, we want to just receive it with open arms and humble hearts. God, we we don't want to hide anything. We've been angry wrongly. We've we've disrespected, we've uh, cursed people. We've called people names and we are guilty. We repent, Father. And I ask Jesus, your blood would wash us clean. And Lord, if there's anyone new here that has just come to know you for the first time, I pray they would be encouraged and just know your love will never leave them or forsake them. And for those who need to just come back to you, rededicate their life and and experience again the great love and peace of being fully surrendered, I pray they would make that decision now. They would confess their sins now. Jesus, we love you, and we were going to sing this song with all our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.